hello world and everybody listening from other parts of the Milky Way. I'm not here to, to pass judgment. You can listen from wherever the hell you want. It's me. It's Andrew Fantasia. Welcome to a brand new exciting, yeah, I'm going to say exciting. That's a good word for it. Episode of That's So Wizard podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in and making us a part of your day. And I have a special guest with me today. That's right. I'm not alone. You know, this isn't like a typical Tuesday night where I, you know, sit down with a can of Chef Lonely Hearts and some wine by myself and cry myself to sleep. No, I got somebody with me today. I got Mr. Rob McDonald from Rebel Scum Podcast. Rob, say hello to all four people listening in. (laughs) Hello, man. I'm very excited to be a part of this. I mean, I thought... uh... You had to be uh, a, a full-fledged wizard to be on this show for, at first. Like, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure what the criteria was to get on here. <laughs> well, we, we kind of started that way. You know, we wanted only full-fledged wizards. But then we got some flack from the left wing where they said, you know, you're you're excluding the warlocks. You're excluding sorcerers. Mages need love, too. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of mages. But if I was to say that in public, you know, my career would be over. So uh, I was like, all right, fine. Everybody can come aboard. That's so wizard, I guess. Um, so that's that's why we decided to, to, to pull you in because you are a class 23 warlock uh, and you, you know your stuff. You have, uh, you have a pouch full of spells waiting to be used, but you also have a pouch full of movie knowledge. Uh, you see more movies, I think, than any human being that I know personally. I think that's a safe assumption to make, isn't it? Oh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know about that, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely like to dabble for sure. And, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've dabbled in quite a few movies. I literally did a small little count. I'm, I'm already at like something like 55 movies, I think for this year, new movies that I've seen that came out this year. So yeah, I'm, I'm getting high up there, but, uh, you know, you, you got a nice, uh, full utility belt yourself there. <laughs> Damn 55. That's a, that's a nice number, man. That I, last year, if I remember right last year, I, I hit my record, uh, for most, um, new movies watched. I can't remember what the number was. I think it was just about 50, but uh, it was exhausting to to cram that many in. And this year, the number is definitely smaller. But uh, you got to see a nice big chunk of films uh, at a little place called the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, which is uh, what we want to kind of focus on today because... Not a lot of people listening can make it out to TIFF. Hell, I live in Toronto and I don't even make it out to TIFF. So it's 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 nice to get some TIFF insider perspectives from uh, from a person who has been there in the thick of it all and seen some TIFF movies. Now, is, was this year, do you go to TIFF like every year? Is that a tradition for you? I usually try to go out for at least one movie a year at TIFF. This was probably one of my highs. Like I saw five films at TIFF this year. Um when I used to, I used to volunteer at TIFF as well. So when I volunteered, like I would see about five most of the time as well. But ever since I stopped volunteering at TIFF, I usually only go to like one or maybe two films a year max, more or less. Like for example, last year the only one I saw was Halloween actually at TIFF. So, but yeah, this year I uh, I made an effort because I saw quite a few movies and I was very much looking forward to seeing this year. So yeah, I wanted to make that extra effort to see a whole bunch, and I didn't even see all the ones I wanted to see. Uh, because of just weird schedules. There were so many movies that were only playing on like three days and all the days I was either working or just unavailable for. So, Wait, ha- Halloween 2018 was a TIFF movie? They they screened it at TIFF? It was a TIFF movie, yeah. It was a uh, Midnight uh, Madness screening that they had. 
that. So it was like, yeah, they had the full cast. They had did Jamie, uh, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis there. They had uh, Danny McBride was there. Uh, the director, I forget his name for a moment. Uh, uh, he, he was there as well, along with Judy Greer and whatnot. So yeah, they had uh, they had the full red carpet out for them. Wow, I never would have guessed like that. That never would have seemed like a, a TIFF movie to me. That, that's that's crazy. That's uh, that's pretty cool though that they everybody got to kind of show up for that and you got to see the cast and crew. And yeah, it's when they usually like bring out those movies that you wouldn't expect to be at TIFF. Like I, I saw Dread at TIFF a few years ago as well. And that, that was a movie that I don't think many people expect to be at TIFF as well. But yeah. Oh, they, wow. They, every, every now and then they bring out some of the uh, cool little movies that uh, don't, don't spell prestige like most TIFF movies seem to. So it's like a grab bag. Almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how does one get, like, this is going to sound so, so new. I'm going to sound like such a noob right now, but how does one like purchase a movie ticket for a TIFF film? Like, how does that work? So there's multiple ways that you can do it. I mean, they have like multiple cutoff dates where it's like, uh, because they have their own little uh, subscription service. Like if you subscribe for a TIFF, you get like access to all the movies beforehand, like well beforehand, so you can, you'll have a much better chance of getting the screens that you want. But aside from that, if you don't want to be, you know, paying the $99 a year to be a part of this TIFF Insider program, um, you just buy, you can buy a, uh, like a six pack of tickets. That's what I did. I just bought a six pack of tickets. Uh, one of the movies I didn't wind up going for, so I just gave it away. And uh, yeah, I, I still got to see five of the six movies and you get to pick them fairly early. So more than good enough chance that you can actually uh, see the movies that you want to. But even me, uh, some of the ones I wanted to see, like Jojo Rabbit was one of the movies I really wanted to see, but I never got to because it was just sold out by the time I got to try to choose my movies. Oh, wow. And those are like the seating is pretty ample there. So for a movie to be sold out at TIFF, that's kind of a big deal, isn't it? No, yeah. I mean, it depends what theater you're going to. Like Scotiabank obviously just has like the Scotiabank Theater in downtown Toronto. It's just like a regular theater, so the regular size theaters. But yeah, if you're going to like um, like uh, Roy Thompson Hall or the Elgin, those are very ample seat theaters. So yeah, it's a pretty big deal when uh, something gets sold out there. But I mean, TIFF's a pretty pretty huge film festival, so they they have a lot of movies that sell out quite often, and uh, yeah, a lot of them that you just can't get into unless you want to try to rush the the uh, the lineups. Yeah, you gotta. Some people have access to the space time continuum when it comes to uh, buying stuff at the box office. It feels like uh, did you, did you manage to bump into like um, any of the folks from like Collider or anything like that? I know Perry Nemiroff was down there. Did you see anybody that you recognize? Not this year. I was hoping to be able to see them, but yeah, last year was the one big one where I got to see them. I got to see uh, uh, Jeff Snyder, who was uh, on Collider. He he was in line at uh, at uh, TIFF for Halloween. Uh, Perry Nemiroff was there as well, and Mark Ellis was there watching some of the some of the uh, movies, and he did um, like a meet and greet of his own. Like he did a comedy show at this one comedy club in uh, Toronto, and then afterwards he did the meet and greet, and that's when Perry Nemiroff came over there as well. So. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun to be able to see all these people outside of it all, and especially get the recommendations. I also ran to Scott Mance uh, at at Halloween, like in, in the actual like by my seat. He was only sitting like two rows in front of me, uh-huh. and yeah, he, he he spoke very highly of First Man last year, so that was his big recommendation. And you know, he loves his Damien Chazelle, so I was not surprised at all that uh, he recommended First Man, and I liked that movie quite a bit myself. 
Ooh, see, I, I'm uh, don't don't tell anybody. This is a this is a secret, but I haven't seen First Man, um, and I I didn't really like it. It it didn't uh, grab me to want to see it because of Damien Chazelle. Like his stuff didn't really resonate with me the way it seems to do with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I um, I love the very beginning and very end of La La Land, but I thought the middle was kind of meh. <laughs> But uh, yeah, First Man just looked, I, I could be completely wrong because I'm just judging a book by its cover here, but it, it just looked very like, yeah, America, going to go to the moon. Um, and like, it, it looked very super patriotic and I'm like, that's nice, but I, I'm not American, so I don't really care, you know? No, well, yeah, if that's what you think it is, it's not quite that. It's a lot more of the story about Neil Armstrong than about America specifically because it's about him and what he's going on like uh, through in his, his day-to-day life at that time. Like He had just lost a child, so he's very split off from his wife, and it's more about his like emotional journey about having to um, try to pick up the pieces of his family all at the same time about trying to accomplish this goal of uh, going to the moon, but regardless, so you, you 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 stating that uh, you have not seen the movie is not something to be um, uh, ashamed of anyway. I, you're far from the first man to have not seen <laughs> First Man. Yes, thank God. I thought, <laughs> I, thought I was alone. Um, I now I have been to TIFF once in my life. Um, I was in high school at the time i think this would have been around 2005 ish i want to say maybe 06 Uh, i went with my mom i don't know how she got a ticket she's just like hey i got a ticket we we got a ticket for one movie and it was this movie called edison but it wasn't about thomas edison it was about a, a city called edison and it starred justin timberlake and either ice cube or ice tea i can't remember which one uh, and it was just like a very basic run of the mill, um, like, like drug dealers versus cops kind of movie, you know, just like, you know, there's like millions of those movies where it's like, Oh, I'm a cop. I'm going after a drug dealer. The drug dealer is really bad. And at the end I get him the end. And it's set in a town called Edison. And I just remember like walking away from that and being like, wow, we paid $80 to watch this. Uh, <laughs> how much it cost wow wow that's insane <laughs> yeah it was because we she got some kind of ticket where it was like um you could go to an after party um oh. afterwards uh clearly because if it was before it would now be an after party um so yeah she got she's like oh these these are uh these tickets where you go you know you get admission for the movie and then there's an after party and she's like oh maybe we'll meet some industry people because even back then I was interested in acting and stuff. And I think I actually had an agent at that point. And she was like, hey, you might meet somebody. You know, you might make some connections. I was like, cool. But this after party was literally nobody in the industry. It was just a bunch of tourists who bought tickets for an after party. So I'm like, wow, this is a... I'm having a wonderful time. Not. Uh, so I really, it really soured me on the TIFF experience. Um, and especially because I have heard from like teachers when I went into college and stuff too. When I, cause I went to Humber college um, for film and TV acting. So all of my teachers kind of, you know, they had their fingers on the TIFF pulse. They, they, they were living and breathing the whole industry and they were telling me stories. I just kind of broke my heart where they're like, yeah, man, back in the early nineties when TIFF started, they, they said, you know, they would go and it would be a place, you know, by filmmakers for filmmakers where you go there 
and you just sit in a small room and you meet uh, like Quentin Tarantino and he's, you know, a brand new director and he's like, hey, I just made this movie. What are you making? And you tell him what you're making and you guys collaborate and maybe exchange numbers and stuff. And I was like, that sounds so cool. That sounds like what I need, you know, to kickstart some kind of career. I don't know. And now it's just all about tourism. And even, you know, back 10 years ago when I was in college, that's what my teachers were saying. They're like, yeah, TIFF is is just a, a juggernaut for the Toronto, you know, tourism board now. Like, it, it used to be a networking thing. It used to be, like, great for our careers. And now it's it's not. <laughs> now it is absolutely not great. for Now it's like you need a career already to go there. So I, I really got soured from... from uh, those stories and from my own TIFF experience. So I never touched TIFF again after that. No, yeah, that, that, that sounds like something that would sour me as well. Like, uh, yeah, you just describing that in which like, yeah, you used to be able to like network and stuff like that over there. You know, now it's just more of like, you know, a place to just see the celebrities, but not really speak to them. It's like, you know, the, the, you, you always notice that like you always see the pictures of where it's like they arrive in their limo and then they go up to the crowd and sign a couple autographs take a few selfies and then just walk away right you never really get the chance to really talk to them and that kind of just reminds me a little bit of like the fan expo vibe like how, how the comic-con vibe that you used to have like even like the early 2000s or even mid 2000s where it'd be like you'd go up over there and you can just basically talk to these celebrities and, you know, have a conversation with them and not have to pay $80 for an autograph. Like how you yes. think Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me a little bit of that as well. And yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting the way it is, but it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, they prided themselves Tiff in a lot of ways about being able to choose like the best picture contenders. And that's just what it is. So they keep trying to get these movies that are being the big ones, the ones that are big studios that are going to create these big marketing campaigns, uh, for best picture, uh, for the Oscars this year. And yeah, that, that seems to be their, their pride and joy right now. And you said you saw five movies, right? I see five movies. Yeah. Okay. Which ones did you see? Okay. So the ones I got to see was, I saw Ford V Ferrari, which is uh, the James Mangold movie with uh, Christian Bale and Matt Damon. Uh, but uh, I believe it's in the 60s. It is the, uh, the basically Ford wanting to compete with Ferrari on, on the industry circuit about the big 24-hour uh, race in that they wanted to go up against Ferrari and beat them at. And uh, I also saw Joker, which a lot of people would be uh, are very interested in seeing right now and hearing all the news, especially about Venice, that were just right the, the week right before TIFF. Got a lot of buzz over there. Um, another one was Weathering With You. It's an anime movie. Um, Lucy in the Sky, which is a movie directed by Noah Hawley with uh, uh, John Hamm and um, Natalie Portman. And then the last one I got to see was Guns Akimbo, which was this uh, New Zealand movie with uh, Daniel Radcliffe and uh, New Girl that w- when it came on the scene this year, I think, Samara Weaving, that people would have seen uh, from uh, Ready, or, Ready or Not. She was the main actress in that. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really digging Samara Weaving. She uh, she made an impression on me in Ready or Not, so it's nice to see she's uh, she's got a, a nice flourishing career right now. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting lineup. I like how varied that lineup is. I'm very happy with how different all five of those movies are. And uh, yeah. we'll we'll go over we'll go over them all. Um, I want to save Joker for last. Um, just because when, when I'm prepping for that, so wizard, usually, you know, I, I gather 
the the movie news together that's been making waves over the past two weeks and whatnot and I, I kind of go over it and and uh see what's what's been making the biggest waves and talk it over and such and the past two weeks it has been all about joker every time i i hop on the news and take a look it's been joker this joker that uh so even if you weren't on the show today i would have been talking about joker in some way shape or form i just wouldn't have known what the hell i was talking about so thank god you're here to give us a first-hand account um but let's start with um let's start with that guns akimbo movie let's start with daniel radcliffe and samara weaving there so is he uh firing patronuses in this movie or is there something else going on no no he's not firing patronuses but he is firing um uh, two guns which have been bolted to his hands because uh, the basic story of this movie is that uh, there's this online uh, fighting happening. It's, it's in this very fictionalized city. I don't believe they ever say what city it is in which uh, in this city they have this live webcast that specifically happened in the city where it's uh, two fighters basically have to go, go head-to-head with each other and one has to kill the other. Right, mm-hmm. and have weapons and stuff like that, and just randomly happens throughout the city and several times, and it just screamed on the internet for people to watch and and enjoy, more or less. And Samara Weaving plays one of these players uh, called Nix, and she's like near the top of the leaderboard. She's like she's she's the queen bee, if if, if, if I was to say something in there. And um, Dan Radcliffe plays this plays this um, video game developer. He like works on this like app game. And then he's just disgusted by all these types of like violent games and specifically this thing. So one night he just decides to start getting drunk and he uh, gets on the message board and starts uh, making fun of them, kind of being a troll himself to these other people, right? So he starts making fun of them and whatnot. And then what happens is this game itself actually tracks him down and they put him into the game by bolting these two guns to each of his hands. And he just has, has the guns and now... He's going head to head with Nix, so it's basically Daniel Radcliffe versus Samara Weaving. That's what the movie is. I'm gonna be honest with you, Rob. This yep. sounds like the greatest motion picture ever put to cinema. This sounds like so much fun. Uh, is it Very going to fun. get a wide theatrical release or no? It does not have a release date as of this point. Actually, it's just been released at TIFF. Uh, I, I, yeah, uh, even to this point, when I looked it up, usually like news comes out where it's like, "Oh, this studio has bought it and it's coming coming out to release date for this time." But as of right now, there's still nothing uh, news related about when this movie will be coming out. So hopefully soon, and hopefully people will be able to see it in theaters because it is a fun ride. Damn, yeah, that sounds great. That's and you said it's from New Zealand. Yeah, it's a New Zealand director. Uh, his name is Jason Lay Howden. Uh, he said he was originally scheduled to actually be at the screen that I was at to be able to do a Q&A afterwards, but they said he had to go back to New Zealand uh, before the movie, so he was not going to be there for it, which is a shame because I would have really liked to be able to pick his brain as to how he came up with some of this type of uh, stuff that happens in this movie. Oh, yeah, that sounds really, really fun. And uh, as small as the cast is, it's a good cast. Like, I, Did you enjoy Ready or Not? I did. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, it's probably my favorite horror movie of the year, to be honest. And so it's it's very much in good fun, similar to Ready or Not. It doesn't. Guns of Kimo does not take itself seriously at all. Good, good. I like to hear that. Uh, yeah, Ready or Not. Um, it really. It was one of those ones that just crept up on me. Like uh, it. It wasn't on my radar for a long time, and then I heard about it in June, like a month before it came out. Right. I, I, like I just saw a trailer somewhere, and I'm like, holy crap, that looks like fun. 
and I uh, made a point. I was like, okay, this is this is going on the list. I, I need to see what this is all about. And right. when I walked out of that movie, I was like, damn, like I, because I went in, uh, like I didn't really know any of the cast more or less, except for like McDowell and whatnot. Like the cast was mostly new faces to me. Uh, but even more importantly, like the writers and directors were new faces. Like I had no idea what I was getting into. And I was like, oh God, like this might be garbage. Like what, what, what have I done? But by, by the time I walked out, I had had a blast and I was like, I was on board for Samara weaving a hundred percent after that. I was like, anything this girl does, like she was such a badass in that movie, like more, give me more. And I only just found out like two nights ago that she was in that Netflix movie, The Babysitter, which I totally didn't bother with. So now I'm going to have to bother with it. Uh, yeah, I heard things about the, good things about that movie too. And yeah, the only thing I knew Samara Weaving before that was uh, she was in Three Billboards. She just played uh, John Hawks's kind of dumb girlfriend in that. And she was only in two scenes, but she was rather funny in that as well. So that's the only thing I really knew her in before that movie. Oh, before. cool. And now she's got, I think she's got something else coming out um where that's kind of big that she has a role and i can't remember what it is but the moral of the story is her agent is doing a very very good job um yeah. uh, she, i believe she plays um one of either bill or ted's daughters in the new bill and ted movie. that's it that's exactly it you're right yeah she's uh she's i think she is bill's daughter because he's the blonde one so that sounds like that would make sense but uh yeah she's she's rocking it she's absolutely rocking it uh, good for her um now the I'm trying to remember the other one you mentioned, uh, not the anime one and not Ford versus Ferrari, but the other one. Oh, Lucy in the Sky. That's the one. Tell me about Lucy in the Sky. Yeah, so Lucy in the Sky is uh, Noah Hawley's directorial debut, like at least for feature film. If you knew that, if that name Noah Hawley springs out to you, it's like I know that name from somewhere. Then if you watched the uh, Fargo TV series, he's create he created that and directed multiple episodes of that and also wrote a lot of it, as well as Legion, the X-Men kind of uh, series with, uh, um, uh, I forgot the name, the name of the actor, I believe, uh, Dan Stevens, Dan Stevens, that's his name, so where he plays uh, Professor Xavier's uh, son in that. So, yeah, that, those are the main things that he's known for, and yeah, he's directing this movie, Lucy in the Sky, which is uh, uh, starring Natalie Portman, and she basically plays this woman uh, based on a true story in which she went out to space and she just realized that you know the world is so small and all she wants to do is just get back into space again and tries to get back um, the, the, through NASA to go on another space mission. And uh, yeah, it's just basically about her coping with uh, wanting to go to space because yeah, she's no longer interested really in the world type of a, type of a scenario. That's more or less what it's about. Uh, do you think this is some kind of um, meta metaphor about how you know she she wanted nothing to do with thor and star wars for the longest time but now she's like you know what space doesn't sound so bad can i go back please <laughs> that would be very funny if like uh Alec Borman specifically campaigned to, for this movie to be a part of it as just a big marketing campaign for her wanting to be back in thor and star wars that'd be that'd be very funny, funny as, if that, that as soon as the funny. movie as soon as lucy in the sky was cut together she like hand wrote two invitations to the screening and sent one to Kathleen Kennedy and the other one to Kevin Feige. And she was like, please come watch this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be very funny. Uh, but yeah, this was this Lucy in the sky movie. This was the one that probably worked the least out of these five movies that I saw at TIFF for me. Um, 
Noah Hawley's a very interesting filmmaker. He has a lot of like very cool ideas like in, that you see in stuff like Fargo and uh, Legion. But this was one of these movies in which um, threw me off a little bit because the way in which he directs this movie and specifically edits this movie is he's constantly messing with the aspect ratio of this movie. So it's constantly changing throughout the movie and it became distracting and kind of like took me out of the movie way too often. That was my that was one of my main issues, as well as that I never really related to anybody in this because if you know anything about this uh, true story in which uh, Natalie Portman uh, plays this character Lucy Cola, um, yeah, it, it does not turn out well for her, and she becomes a very unlikable character in a lot of uh, scenes that she is in this movie for me at least. So wait, he he would swap from like full screen to widescreen just like Willie Miller. Yeah. Well, he was kind of beating you in the head because the way it would be is that he would be they would be using like the regular like uh, 185 uh, uh, widescreen aspect ratio when she's in space and whatnot. But as soon as uh, she would go back to Earth or back back to home, they would keep collapsing the the aspect ratio to like three by four. I want to say like around there uh, to okay, try make it more claustrophobic and everything and tight yeah, and small. Her, like yeah, this this place is too small. Except he just constantly does it all the time. That just became very distracting every time he was doing it, and kind of felt like he was trying to beat me over the head a little bit about uh, what the point of this movie was. Right, a very uh, very notice my directing kind of kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like I said, it, it kind of took me out of it just constantly doing that. Like one of the movies that. I believe got a bad rap for some of the aspect ratio changes, but I felt like did it a lot more simply is that um, it comes at night movie that came out a few years ago with uh, Joel Edgerton Mm -hmm. uh, one where they were, they were switching aspect ratios, but it wasn't like a difference where it was like uh, going to four by three. He was switching more like from like 16 by nine to like 185, just like marginally switching it a little bit. And I felt like it was a lot less, obvious than uh this movie was making it and uh, yeah like i said i felt like noah was trying to beat me over the head with i don't know uh a, a stupid stick or something <laughs> <laughs> well if noah holly ever decided to quit directing and become a singer he's got uh the title of his christmas album already gift wrapped for him have a noah holly jolly christmas um oh, I, would, I would buy that in a heartbeat uh, <laughs> uh, actually side akbar i i heard some news today that I wanted to run by you. I, I hope you haven't heard it already because I really want to surprise you with this news. Uh, well, I don't know if he was serious. I I can't tell. But apparently John Favreau said that um, at some point in the near future, he would like to produce for Disney Plus a new Star Wars holiday special. Oh, yeah. I saw this headline, but I haven't read anything deep into it. So was he just joking around about this or was this uh, actually something that it sounded like he wanted to do? I can't tell, man. I, I really it, it it's like just a very basic quote where he's like, yeah, I'd love to give that another shot, whatever. But there was no, you know, it's facetiousness gets lost in translation when you read something um, in, in an article. So it's hard to tell just how serious he was. But uh, I think that that's something that we got to go over on rebel scum and, and muse about, cause I think there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I'll say, I mean, uh, I, I want to know like, who's going to be like the new band that they would use in that stuff. And, you know, well, itchy and like, well, well, well I want it to be a shot for shot remake. That's what I, would... <laughs> <laughs> I want to see him and try to, um, uh, Gus Van, 
that'd be fantastic. Without B. Arthur, it's not worth it to me anymore. She she was the glue that held the holiday special together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, tell me about this. Uh, you said there was a Japanese anime movie. Uh, now, I I gotta you're gonna have your work cut out for you because I am not a fan of Japanese anime. I I tried to watch some of the shows growing up. You know, I tried to watch Sailor Moon and Pokemon and Dragon Ball every once in a while. You know, I, I tried to dabble in those, but. It was, it it annoyed me. It really there was there was too much screaming, too much grunting, um, right. very overly like unnecessary dialogue. Like they never said five words when they could say fifty five words instead. So I I just remember every experience with anime being a grating, unpleasant experience. So sell me, Rob. What what uh, what what was I missing out on? All right. So if, if this is not that in any type of way, like this was um, like, have you seen any like type of Studio Ghibli movies, like like Spirited Away or any of those types of ones? No. No. OK. So this movie, it's basically from this director, um, Makado Shinkai. And my main reason for really wanting to see this movie was uh, he came out with this movie called Your Name a couple years ago. And it was this movie in which just kind of like took me over from the visuals entirely. Like he's found a way to make these anime of visuals looks almost realistic. Like he does like, it literally looks like when he shows you like the background or like wide shots of like cities and whatnot, they look like they're almost real life. This, this was one of the most beautiful movies that I'd like seen in a while in your name. And when I, as soon as I saw this trailer for weathering with you, it was very much in that same vein. Like if you want to see truly beautiful anime that's what this movie is and that's what your name is like he literally pushes pushes the envelope as to what animation can really be in a lot of times and this movie specifically it's about uh it's a very much anime type of scenario in which it's this high school boy who's run away uh from home and went to tokyo and he just befriends this girl who is this sunshine girl and basically what it is is that she's this woman a little girl that can uh change the weather so she she can basically put her hands together and then just pray and this weather will clear up. And this version of Tokyo that is in this movie is very much, uh, if you want a visual com- comparison, it's like uh, Los Angeles in Blade Runner 2049 or Blade Runner in general. It's raining all the time. Uh, it's like completely m- muddy and mucky all, all over the place. And she's this one girl that's able to just, in certain areas of the of the city, able to make the make the clouds part and make the sun come out i really like that visual style i love the blade runner style um i'm glad you clarified what you meant by sunshine girl because here in toronto that means an entirely different thing than what would come up (laughs) (laughs) if any of our american listeners wants to know what the hell i'm talking about just google toronto sunshine girl you're welcome Uh, but 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 carry on. What's uh, so he's uh, he meets this girl and she makes the weather better and he she kind of uh, comes into his life. Yeah, she comes into his life. Like a lot of these types of anime movies are usually about like young love. Um, like the, a lot of studio uh, Ghibli movies are about just usually teenagers falling in love together and just realizing that they're they're born to be together type of thing. That's kind of one of like the carrying themes that's going on over over in a lot of these movies. And yeah, it's about. This movie, in a lot of ways, is just about this this kid who's run away from home, who's who's not an orphan, but his yeah his parents are still looking for him, and he, it's about him just having to try to grow up. 
like in a lot of ways and uh and basically this girl kind of helps him do it without without me spoiling it all but uh yeah it's uh, it's a very interesting movie i i was expecting a lot because of your name and how much i love that movie but i would say that it was it was at least for me a little bit low, below the quality of your name because your name is uh, just a truly amazing movie especially with the uh your name might be one that you know of because jj abrams is actually trying to do an americanized version of this movie and your name is basically about um these two high school kids again who are separated like by like miles apart in japan and um basically these random days they switch bodies so this oh, boy cool. In this girl's body, and this boy goes in the girl's. Sorry, uh, v- vice versa. Mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's basically the setup of it all. And JJ Abrams was very much in love with this story style, so he's actually producing an Americanized version of it. Uh, when these Americanized versions, they just I I wish that instead of doing that, they would just take that money and use it to promote the real version. You know, give it distribution yeah. here. Like like remember when um, uh, who was it? Uh, Oh, I'm blanking. The guy, the guy who made uh, Black Klansman. What's his name? Oh, uh, Spike Lee. Spike Lee. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, Spike. Usually I'm good. It's not like you have a boring name. Your name is Spike. You'd think I would remember that. Um, but like, remember when Spike Lee tried to make an American old boy and it failed yeah. miserably? Like, like, why not just, you, you got the money, just pay for some distribution and get the real Korean old boy out there where people can see it because it is fantastic like just do that show us show us what you fell in love with don't try to copy it you know no yeah very much so i mean like the only times i feel like it's worked is it is if they've changed like a significant amount of what these uh uh foreign versions were like something like infernal affairs which became the departed which was just a completely different movie character wise and something like edge of tomorrow which was not based off an anime but it's based off of a book and an anime um uh, animation manga as well and in which they just completely changed the main character right like Tom Cruise's character is nothing like how it, how that character is in the book so those are the only times I feel like where it sometimes benefits so maybe maybe J.J. James will uh, change it out, change it enough but uh, to make it stand on its own but I have a feeling it's, he's going to still follow the big steps that happened in this movie because that's a part of what uh make that movie as interesting as it is. There's several twists to be had in this movie, your name. Yeah. And the character in the edge of tomorrow book definitely didn't do his own stunts either. <laughs> no, no, he did not. <laughs> then Tom Cruise is going to kill himself. I swear. One of these days, like doing one of these crazy stunts, he's probably going to try to jump out of space for the next mission impossible movie. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he'd tried to jump out of space just, you know, on a Tuesday cause he was bored. Um, yeah. So, all right, so so Ford versus Ferrari, or Ford v. Ferrari, I guess, because it's not cool to say versus anymore. Uh, thank you very much, DC Comics. Um, but uh, is this, see, what I'm hoping, and maybe, you know, this is totally 100% personal bias, but, um, and obviously tell me if I'm wrong without spoiling, but um, Ford, Henry Ford was one of those, you know, industrialists back in the day, kind of like Thomas Edison, who... Uh, from what I have read, was not the most moral person in the world and uh, was, you know, very sort of manipulative and greedy and so forth. Uh, And uh, I was hoping that this movie would be kind of a story of like, you know, shedding light on, you know, here's the kind of person Ford was. Look at all these despicable things he did. Um, And, you know, a, a foreign 
entity Ferrari and underdog who I don't know about. They could be just as bad for all I know, but it looks like it's about them kind of being the underdog and, and, and beating this, this juggernaut of industry. Is that what it, what it's like? I mean, not so much like, uh, Henry Ford, uh, the second is in this movie and that's, that's the one and his father's mentioned a lot. And, but he is a minor character in a lot of ways. Like the main characters of this movie are definitely Christian Bale's character, who's Ken Miles and Matt Damon, who plays Carol Shelby, who, uh, is actually named after the Shelby Mustang, uh, Mm -hmm. here as well or i should say the show must have named after him um and uh yeah in which with with this movie in general is very much just focused on those two in which just henry ford in in the second in this one is basically wants to be able to compete with enzo ferrari because at this point in in history uh ford is actually trying to buy ferrari because ferrari is going under and they're losing money and whatnot and enzo ferrari just puts the screws to Ford and to uh, the, the Ford the Ford company and just um, completely waste their time. So it becomes just this personal vendetta that Henry Ford kind of has with Enzo Ferrari in which he wants to beat him at his own game. So this is just the revolutionary period in which they try to create a Ford as, that's as fast and can compete with the Ferrari at the Le Mans, which is the 24-hour race, and uh, beat them. And in which Shelby, um, who Matt Damon plays, tries to create this car in which it, uh, the, in which it can compete with the Ferrari. And um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Christian Bale plays the driver in which actually drives the car itself. So it's very much a story about those two, more or less. Okay, and uh, it's um, is it okay? Actually, no. I was going to ask a question, but I think that's going to be a spoiler. Um, so I'm not going to make you say it out loud just in case. But this one, I know for a fact, this is getting theatrical wide release in December, I think, like around Christmas time. Yeah, I, I think it might have been November. Um, yeah, November 15th is what I have here, actually, uh, that, for its release date. So it's, yeah, it's not too long for that one, but it, yeah, it's just in time for like that Oscar season. Um, I very much like this movie, and it, it just being directed by James Mangold helped it a lot because these these racing scenes even if you're not like a race car like fan these race scenes are shot so like amazingly that it will get you into it like you'll you'll want to like you you feel like you're in the car a lot of times when the way he's shooting these racing scenes so it's it's very dynamic in that type of way and as well as the score of this movie is fantastic so who does the score uh, who does the score? That's a good question, actually. Yeah, I, I, I don't know it off the top of my head. Let's see if I can find it. Um, hang on, let's see here. This is not, this is riveting uh, radio right now. I think riveting radio. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess if I had to make a guess, I'm gonna say James Horner. I feel. I, I don't believe like I I remembered looking up who did it, but it wasn't uh, anybody that I was very much familiar with. Uh, it is oh Marco. Uh, Beltrami, Marco Beltrami. Okay. I'm not... That would have been my ninth guess. Ninth guess. I got you. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a very much cool school. Like I can definitely see myself, um, finding this one on Spotify when it does come out and just listening to it every now and then. Cause yeah, it was a, it was a very well done score in this very good movie entirely. Um, Matt Damon does a heck of a performance in this movie as well as Christian Bale. But I felt like Matt Damon actually kind of stole the show in this movie. Is Christian Bale intense in it would you define him as intense 
Yes, he is definitely intense. Like his his character in a lot of ways is a, uh, a person that knows a lot about cars and is a very good driver, but he doesn't get along with others. That's kind of like what his character kind of is. So in a lot of ways, could be Christian Bale. <laughs> yeah, just just once before I die, I want to see Christian Bale play a character who is not intense, you know? I just want him to play like a casual guy in a baseball hat, just sitting around talking about nachos or something. Like, <laughs> give, give the guy something casual to do. Uh, okay, so Ford, Ford v Ferrari sounds. Uh, it sounds like it's an it's a one of those cool true stories that that's um, like it, it, there's a lot of meat to it. Yes, that that is for sure, and yeah, it definitely has a lot of meat. I mean, if I'm gonna have a one initial like criticism of it, the movie's two and a half hours, so it's a little on the long side. But uh, yeah, I feel like as soon as you get to like the last like forty minutes or so, that is like the Le Mans and whatnot, it it becomes uh, it becomes very riveting. It's like I said, they they find a way to shoot um, racing scenes that is not like a Fast and the Furious movie, but is just as dynamic and not as ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> if it was as ridiculous as Fast and the Furious, uh, we would probably be setting some kind of unpleasant record. Uh, yep. So, okay, that, that's good. That, that, uh, I think you may have sold me on that one. I was on the fence about that movie, but I think, I think I'm down. Um, I'd like to see what, how the story panned out. Um, and then last but not least, we have a little movie about a little clown called It, it. Chapter 2. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so, so the Joker movie is, this, it's such a, it's such a fascinating little, um, like, piece of curiosity to me, because uh, I remember when it was announced, uh, I was not, you know, I could not care less uh, I don't like the Joker at all. I think he's the most overused character in anything ever, period. Like, I've, I've had enough of the Joker to last me a lifetime. Um, and I still feel that way. However, the more I learned about the movie, the more curious I got, because I'll let you in on a secret, Rob. Do you know who my favorite Batman character is? Thomas Wayne. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, that would be, I, I would be a pretty boring. If there's somebody out there whose favorite character is Thomas Wayne, my sympathies. <laughs> um, no, my, my favorite uh, Batman character is Gotham City. Uh, I love the idea of a city that's not just, you know, oh, it's New York. Oh, it's Boston. Like, it's, it's this otherworldly place that can pretty much look like however the current artist or current filmmaker wants it to look. It can be this, you know, intensely realistic place like it was in Dark Knight, or it can be incredibly eerie, uh, almost like a, like a, like a architectural curiosity, like the way it was in, in Batman and Robin with, you know, giant statues towering everywhere. Um, And I love that. I love the mythology of this, this um, otherworldly city and how it can be bigger than any normal city on the planet, and it can have all these these this it can have this beautiful skyline, and it can have all these different little pockets of of just neat little lore tucked all over this place. I, I'm in love with Gotham City, um, and I'm also obsessed with the 1980s. I love the aesthetic of the 1980s. So when I was looking up, you know, finding news about Joker on and on as time went on, and they announced it was going to be set in not only Gotham but 1980s Gotham, that got my motor running. 
So that is what I am the most excited for is shedding light, not on Arthur Fleck, not on the Joker. Again, I could not care less about this character, but on Gotham itself, how it looks, how it feels, the the grungy sort of film noirish 80s atmosphere of what Gotham could be like in this movie. I'm really excited for that. Am I going to be disappointed or is that there in spades? So it is definitely there. Like Gotham City is definitely, you get an idea of what the city is and you get um, an idea of, of the character of the city. I mean, it's not, it's not this big statuesque, you know, written city in which like depicted in something like Batman, Batman and Robin, I should say. Uh, but it is very much a city with a lot of character. However, at the same time, um, if you don't want your Joker in this movie, um, I'm, just, I'm afraid you're going to get a lot of him because this movie is Arthur Fleck's movie. The, I, I do not think that there is a scene in this movie that Arthur Fleck is not in. Oh, wow. Yeah, he. It, this is a Joaquin Phoenix movie through and through. It's a character study. I mean, even though you're saying that you don't like the Joker and you don't want him to be seen, and I completely understand that he is completely overused. The only other character I think might be um, just as overused is Magneto in X-Men movies. Mm -hmm. I feel like can't seem to do uh, uh, an uh, X-Men movie without Magneto. But aside from that, this movie, um, it's in a lot of ways, like, you know, People can describe something like Dark Knight as not really a comic book movie. People can call it a crime movie, right, as a crime thriller and whatnot, just with a guy in a, in a, in a clown suit and a guy in a bat suit in it. This one, more than any other comic book movie, I think is not really a comic book movie, not really a superhero movie. This movie is just like a Scorsese movie um, that is extremely like engrossed in the psyche of this man. That's what this movie is. It's kind. Of, it's very much committed to tell you about this disturbed person and how he starts uh, ratcheting off, like you know, parts of his humanity as things are happening around him. Now they they mentioned uh, like a lot of the people who have seen it have talked about how uh, it, they didn't expect it to be as disturbing as it ended up being. Uh, do you mm. agree with that? Like, do you do you feel what these people are saying? Um, I absolutely do. I mean, we talked about Perry Nightmare earlier, and um, I right after I had exited the theater, I looked at her review on Instagram, and she said that the movie unnerved her, and that's kind of in a lot of ways how I felt. Because in talking about how this movie isn't really a superhero movie or a comic book movie, this treats itself as kind of like somebody that this this person's actions really hit close to home like in a lot of ways like how you have these people that are like you know saying it's like all oh, these women won't you know go out with me um th this i can't get a good job all this type of stuff all blaming the world for their their problems is in a lot of ways about what this movie is and it's about uh this man who uh real life has beat him down just going insane and taking his revenge on people in a lot of ways. That's what this movie kind of is. Okay, that that sounds really neat. Um, it uh, now it, it has Thomas Wayne in it. That's been you know that that's a given. That's that's not a spoiler. We we have 
Uh, he's been cast. I can't remember who plays him. Is it Chris Cooper who plays him? No, um, it is. Um, I can't remember the actor's name. I think it's Brett Cullen. He Brett was Cullen. On... Yeah, yeah. He I, he he looks like Chris Cooper, but he he was on um, he was on Lost a couple times, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like uh, spoiler for Lost, but the show is you know ten years old, <laughs> more than old now. Uh, yeah, he was one of the others, I believe that. Uh, 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 Anna Lucia goes head head with with Michelle Rodriguez. But. That's right. Yeah, his name was Goodwin on the show. Um, he yeah. so so Thomas Wayne is is a thing. Everybody knows he's a thing. Um, now, as as non spoilery as possible, Mister McDonald, is there uh, any kind of Easter egg situation going on where it's like, hey, these aren't the only familiar Gothamites who are wandering around right now? Um, y- yes, sort of. But it's like you do get some hints at some people, but if there are hints at characters that are in Gothamites, they're extremely subtle ones. Like there are police police in this movie that they constantly drop about who they are, but they never say something like uh, Commissioner Gordon or Harvey Bullock. You don't get that. I'm just warning one of you guys there. But there are name drops in this movie. Are there any green question marks in the background is what I'm really asking. I can neither confirm or deny any green green question marks in the movie. If there are, I might stand up in the theater and yell out, oh, and maybe do a lap. <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, like I said, this, this movie is very much akin to like a Scorsese movie in a lot of ways. And yeah, it's, it's the, the comic book influences are minimal in a lot of ways. And it got uh, a hell of a standing ovation in Venice. Now, um, having, so you read about the hype and then you watched the movie. Uh, did it, did it live up to the hype? Were you like, yeah, I understand why it got that standing ovation. Or were you like, yeah, it was good, but it's, you know, it's not that good. I completely understand as to why it would get this standing ovation from, um, like a film festival audience. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's it's very much somebody that if you're like a gigantic comic fan, if you're very much like uh, married to the idea of what certain characters are supposed to be and what things are what things are supposed to be like in the Batman universe, then you might be a little bit irked by it and be unhappy about some of the stuff that the movie does. But if you're open and you have an open mind over here, you will see that this movie could be the second ever comic book movie that could get nominated for Best Picture. Wow. I uh, think it's a very much a possibility. And right now I am actually going to say that it's a lock that Joaquin Phoenix will be nominated for best actor. Oh yeah. Nominated. I, I think, uh, I, I think that's a given too. Yeah. It looks like he's, uh, he really kind of disappears into this role and it, it looks like it's the kind of thing where they're, they're for sure going to, uh, to add his name to the list. Um, mm-hmm. Now from what I looked up, so you, you mentioned that uh, Ford versus Ferrari, could have been a bit shorter. Um, did do you think Joker could have been a bit longer? Would you have wanted more? Because I hear it's not a very long movie. It's just about two hours on the dot. Yeah, it's yeah, it was, it was about two hours on the dot. I mean, I feel like they've got they they like when I told you that this movie was a character study, I didn't feel like they needed to add any more of the character study to Arthur Fleck in this movie to the Joker. I feel like they nailed every part of it that they had to on that regard. 
My only thing is that if maybe they wanted to make it a little bit longer is they could have maybe uh, fleshed out some of the other supporting characters in this movie. But considering that this was the one-man show that it was, I feel like if that's what they wanted to accomplish and be a character study for Arthur Fleck, I think it's the perfect length. Okay, that's uh, that that's good to hear. That's good to hear because... Um again gotham is such a rich place to me like it's so packed with lore um that i i felt like i was worried that it was going to feel like there was so much we didn't see and i was going to feel like oh i need more kind of thing but uh if if the story is served by the two hours then that's just gravy uh we all know that i'm Still championing for uh, and campaigning for a three and a half hour long Rise of Skywalker. I probably won't get that for Christmas, but uh, you all know that I would be 100% on board with something like that. To be honest, I would be. Yeah. I, I would totally be in for just sitting in a movie around Christmas time and watching Star Wars for three and a half hours. That would be really cool. Yeah, look, character development takes a long time, and guess what? There are seven Knights of Ren we haven't met, so... Pack in the minutes, JJ. We won't complain. Um, so, I think audiences have already proved it, that they're completely down for three-hour movies and something like uh, Avengers Endgame. So. Exactly. And and I'm so tired of that whole excuse where it's like, oh, it won't make enough money because it won't get enough showings. It's like, look, you got Endgame, you got Avatar, you got Titanic. Those are all three-hour movies. You have no excuse. You have no excuse for talking about worrying about box office. You will make money if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's long. And uh, if it's a truly event film, yes, yes. Would have seen it, right? Like I think the only one that I can think of in recent memory that it was actually only a couple weeks ago that got hurt by its runtime a little bit is something like it, Chapter Two, perhaps. Yeah, it got it got a lot of flack for the runtime. Um, that was a movie. It's funny because I love you know me. I love long movies. I'll I'll never complain when a movie's long. Um, <laughs> and I I liked it Chapter Two, but I remember it felt long. Not even necessarily in a bad way, but it felt long. And I was like, wow, this movie feels long. And I think that's just a pacing thing because Endgame did not feel long to me at all. And uh, when by the time in it, Chapter 2 where they got to the final confrontation with Pennywise, I was like, wow, I've been sitting in this chair for a while. Um, but So I think I that's... Like it's just. Little... Sorry, go ahead. It felt like it really had a long, long second act. That was my issue with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, very very repetitive too i mean there's only so many times you can watch pennywise kind of pop out and go booga booga without actually hurting anybody right <laughs> before it's like okay um but i think at the end of the day as long as you have good pacing your movie is going to be fine no matter how long it is mm-hmm. um so i i i'm looking forward to joker i'm looking forward to gotham especially i can't wait to see uh what they do with it and uh, the the 80s aesthetic looks great. When is this coming out again? Is this early October? This is, yeah, October 4th. It's coming out. So it'll just be a couple of weeks until everybody can see this movie. And I, I'm very curious to see what people are going to think about it, especially comic book fans. Because, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they think about the changes and, um, yeah, just the Joker's origin story. Because a lot of people uh, that seem to be upset about it is the fact that you know they never feel like something something like Heath Ledger's Joker should never have an origin story but I mean Joker is you know a character that's been around for almost 80 years right and he's he's had multiple origins in the comics and in the TV shows and you know 
it's not like um, Joker not having an origin is something that has been there since the beginning and now that the Joker is per- performing the cardinal sin in which they're giving him a backstory. Joker has always had a backstory and there's been a lot of uh, versions of the Joker that have a backstory. So, I mean, if you're open to seeing a backstory for the Joker, you, you could be uh, very much surprised about how good this movie is, at least in my opinion. And I'm sure that the backstory they cooked up here is is better than the one in Batman 89. Like, I'm sure it's it's going to be better than that. Um, here, here's a question for you, though. Considering, yeah. okay, there's so much hype right now. Like, Joker hype is at an all-time high. Um, comic book movies generally make a lot of money to begin with. Uh, so there is there is tons of comic book hype already. Uh, but there's also now, you know, festival circuit hype. There is hype for people who don't like comic book movies. Uh, just the other night, my mom was watching TV and, uh, you know, I was in the, in the living room sort of working on something and she always mutes the commercials. Um, and then a trailer, a TV spot for Joker came on and she unmuted it because she was curious. So like this movie is, is piquing the curiosity of everybody, not just comic book fans, not even just, not even just, you know, diehard movie fans. Like everybody seems interested. So what do you think, Rob, about the box office for this movie? Do you think it's going to crack top 10 of 2019? And if so, where do you think it's going to fall? Top 10 of 2019. That's, that's, that will be interesting. I mean, I think it has a chance, but considering that there are still a, a few, I mean, how many, how many billion dollar movies have we had this year? Already? Six. And wow, I mean, is it six already? I believe it's six because Disney has five on its own, and then they got the quasi Disney movie in uh, Spider Man Far From Home, and I believe that's the sixth. So, I mean, considering that they also have Frozen 2 to come and uh, Star Wars to come, one of which I think Star Wars will be a billion dollar movie, and Frozen 2 could be another billion dollar movie, I'm going to say no, that it probably won't make the top 10, but I think that this movie is going to be a big time earner. I mean, last year. Venom came out around the same time in early October. I believe that made an $80 million opening weekend. I could see Joker surpassing that a little bit, even though it's rated R. I, I'm, if I'm predicting something, I'm thinking about like a $92 million opening weekend. Domestic. Yeah, that, that's not bad. That That is not bad at all for something like this. And um, you're right. Venom made so much money. And the thing is, more people know about Joker than they do about Venom. Like Joker's a household name. My mom can see a picture of him and be like, oh, yeah, that's the Joker. I show her a picture of Venom. She's like, what's that? Um, so th- this is a, this is a case of a character who is probably because of how overused he is, but he is he is very widely known. So you don't even need to sell the intro, really. You don't even need to introduce him to the public and be like, and here's his movie. Uh, so I, I think that the money it's going to rake in is going to, I think it's going to surprise people. I wouldn't be surprised if this was like number nine of the year. Number nine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that would be a huge accomplishment for them, especially for that Joker, I believe only cost something about 50 million to make. Wow. So yeah, that'll be a huge, uh, huge increase in uh, uh, um, the amount of money that they spent and the money that they're going to make. So yeah, that'd be that'd be a huge accomplishment for this movie, and why I think it's great that something like Joker could do so well and uh, just open the door and say like, "Hey, 
not all comic book movies or superhero movies need to be a hundred million dollar epics. You can make something smaller and with a smaller budget, uh, with less risk, and just take chances on some of these characters that just never seem like they might ever get a uh, comic book movie. Now, aside from I'm trying to remember here, aside from the the three Marvel movies and the Lion King, what else cracked a billion this year? So. Um, there was the th- three Marvel movies. There was the Lion King. There was Aladdin. It got a billion. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, Toy Story Four is the other one. All right. How about uh, Hobbs and Shaw? How was that doing? Um, off the top of my head, I think because it just premiered, I believe, in China like a couple weeks ago, and it did pretty good. If I was to guess, I would say that's about around the, the five hundred to six hundred million dollar range. Might, might might be might be closing closing it on seven. I don't know off the top of my head though, but it's it's in that range because as soon as it opened in China, that's when the money survey began. Because in North America, it's not doing um, all that bonkers money. Okay, so so we got six so far. Uh, you're right. Star Wars is definitely going to make a billion. Frozen two, I, I'd be shocked if it didn't make a billion. So mm-hmm. so yeah, that that's eight spots. You know what? I can really see the Joker taking that ninth spot. I think it's very doable, um, especially because of of the hype train. Especially because um, it, you add festival hype to comic book movie hype, and that's basically the most hype a movie can get. I think. Uh, yeah. And like right now, I mean, just like Screen Rant, for example, out of ten articles on Screen Rant's front page, eight of them are about the Joker. So it's it's really just dominating the movie news industry right now. Uh, and I heard a rumor, and I don't know if you can confirm or deny this, having been been you know fortunate enough to see the film, that there's some kind of thing going on right now where they're planning something called DC Dark, where it's like a separate entity from the DCEU, and it's villain-centric, smaller-budget films, and that this was sort of the launching point of that. Did, did that uh, is is are we crazy, or is that you know does that have a kernel of truth to it there? I mean, it has a definite possibility. I mean, one of the things I haven't mentioned about my screening was actually that Todd Phillips was there. Mm. Uh, he you buried the lead, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did. <laughs> I, I could have mentioned that earlier, but yeah. Todd Phillips was there, and he was taking questions, and one of the questions that he got was actually about that uh, DC Dark, but he all he said was that uh, he's not like impervious to that type of knowledge, and according to him, at least, he knows nothing about uh, whether it's uh, true, whether they're actually doing something like that. The only thing that he has spoken about, and he spoke about, I believe, on a TIFF interview, is that he would be open towards doing another Joker movie, a second Joker movie. Okay, so there was no, like, uh, in the studio logos, opening logos, there was no, like, DC Dark logo, no. like the way they did the Dark Universe thing for The Mummy. There was nothing like that going on? No, no, no dark universe here. Absolutely, yeah. They did it. They didn't uh, market anything in that regard. Yeah, it's it's got the regular DC logo that uh, most of the other DC films have. Okay, okay, because that that uh, that idea interested me, and it uh, it made me think like, okay, here's a cool way for DC to really differentiate themselves from the MCU, um, and go in these cool directions that the MCU just doesn't go or isn't willing to go particularly yeah. this r-rated direction and you know got me thinking of other villains that they could uh pile into this sort of storytelling and, and make that work in a really cool way cough riddler cough please um <laughs> so 
that that idea got me intrigued but i'm glad to hear that it a lives up to the hype and b it is a great character study because everything i'm hearing so far is, is good news so it's nice when good news is actually you know legit um but that that that's awesome man uh thank you for for the the tiff insider insight uh that that really that really shed a nice little light on stuff that you know not a lot of us are able to make it out to these festivals so it's always nice to to hear it firsthand from somebody who was who was right there in the thick of things now there was what was the sixth movie that you weren't able to see so i had ticket to go see this movie called seaberg um, and it was with uh, Kristen Stewart that I was originally going to see, but uh, it wound up cutting too close to when I was going to start work, so I just had to drop it and not uh, not use the ticket. So, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was another inter- interesting one that sounded like uh, uh, the thing I heard afterwards is that Kristen Stewart might, apparently gives a phenomenal performance in this movie. So, yeah, that's another one I didn't get a chance to see, but there was a lot of other ones that I was hoping to get tickets for that I couldn't, that I didn't get a chance to see. One of which is The Lighthouse. I don't know if you heard about that movie. Oh, I can't wait for The Lighthouse, man. Yeah, I was hoping to go see that one, but uh, those tickets went way too fast. And yeah, it's it'll be nice to see more of, uh, I mean, the, these Twilight kids are making uh, pretty good uh, careers out of themselves. Yeah, they're doing okay. One of them is a is a Charlie's Angel now, so so that's something. Yeah. Uh, uh, the question is, when will we see Taylor Lautner again? <laughs> oh, when when will Taylor Lautner see Taylor Lautner again? Uh, maybe yeah. maybe they'll make Shark Boy and Lava Girl too. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, normally be on the show with you, man. It was a lot of fun talking about these movies. Oh, thank you, man. It was it was great to have you. Uh, normally, we we do. Um, uh, segment at the end of that's so wizard called with all due retrospect where we talk about uh I, I watch an old movie that i haven't seen in many years and do kind of like a retrospective on it and see if it holds up and such and uh, i've been doing i've been kind of plowing my way through the rambo movies to prepare myself for rambo 5 last blood uh right. but i didn't get around to watching rambo 3 so i won't be able to talk about it today i'll talk about it next week but i want to just get your quick thoughts how excited are you for rambo 5 colon last blood Presented by Paddington 2, Fast and the Furious. Paddington 2. If, if that bear <laughs> up in a raincoat during this movie, I will be like, holy crap, is he going to start slitting throats? <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's a funny coincidence because I literally yesterday had the full day off. And what did I do with my full day off? I watched all four of the previous Rambo movies. So oh, it's yeah. a funny coincidence. They're all pretty fresh in my mind. So yeah, I'm, I'm very much hyped for this movie. I'm very much curious to see what the way this is going to turn out because everything like really spells something like a logan to me like the one last ride for this you know vietnam war vet and you know seeing the way he turns out so i mean i'm i'm yeah i'm, I'm extremely hyped for this movie and especially watching the other ones uh i really dig a whole bunch of those rambo movies especially that first one that one's uh that one's a real favorite of mine that's a full day man like you must still be vibrating from well, <laughs> only about an hour and a half each, so I got through them fairly quickly. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a fun thing to just have on. Now, I I like what you said about uh, a Logan comparison because I'm of the mind, uh, and never tell me the odds here, Rob. Uh, the odds of of Rambo dying by the end of Rambo Five: Last Blood because I'm of the mind that it's very likely. What do you think? I think that it's pretty likely. But there's something in the back of my head that kind of makes me think that Stallone's not ready to say goodbye to him and close the door fully 
on Rambo. So he might want to think it's like, maybe I'm going to want to do this, do another Rambo movie in like two or three years or five years. So he might keep him alive. Yeah. yeah, He's talked about that. And I'm like, well, well, dude, if that's how you feel, don't call the movie last blood, man. (laughs) Call it second last blood. Like don't, don't tease us with that. Cause that is a perfect way to, to end like granted the Rambo movie series has probably had the worst titling system of any franchise ever, but what, what a perfect title for, you know, the end of this franchise. Like, don't, don't do that, man. Don't leave it hanging. If you're, if you're gonna like, don't waste that perfect title is what I'm saying. Like it, it would be such a waste. No, it's um, true. It be doing Rambo five, uh, running out of blood, <laughs> Rambo six, um, blood transplant. And then, <laughs> uh, last blood. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Like that's yeah. just work, work with uh, get creative, but don't, don't squander, you know, don't play your Trump card. If it's not the last card you're going to play, that's all I'm saying. So Stallone, I know you're listening. Change the title. If you're going to make more. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. I hope that it is the end though, because I feel like he, he needs one of those Western type of style endings that like a lot of old Western heroes used to have. And I feel like this, this should be it. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, I'm I'm right with you. Like I love the Rambo movies, but John Rambo is no Rocky Balboa. Like Rocky, I could watch, I could watch twenty movies about just like the next chapter of Rocky's life. Like I, I adore that saga and how it plays out, and how it's just like here's the next chapter of this man's life. Whereas with Rambo, it's just like I know he's just going to be out in the jungle shooting people again. Like there's no you know there's no progress it's just another fun action film uh so i i don't need it to go on forever the way i i i want rocky to you know just like let it let him go off in the sunset let him have his end and that's it um so i i hope that they they don't pull their punches this time around no yeah and he's definitely much more of a different character compared to rocky in which like just the basis of this rambo character is like He's this Vietnam War vet that was suffering from like PTSD afterwards and whatnot, right? Like, and he's a badass and he's very hard to kill, but it's just, it's almost like he's avoiding that bullet that's going to take him out for all these movies. And then, like, you know, one of these times, especially Rambo being at this age, it's just, he finally meets that one guy that's just a little bit quicker than him and that, you know, he finally gets that bullet that he's been avoiding this whole time, right? Like, it, it seems like it should be at that point and that that should sort of be the ending for Rambo going out in a, in a hail of bullets or whatever it would be. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's been a lot of, uh, there's been great advancements in the field of being a soldier since 1981. I'm sure now the current day soldiers are, are much better at being a soldier than even Rambo was in his prime. So yeah, it's time to, it's time to let him go out like a hero. Uh, give him some peace give that poor man some peace. Cause I feel like he's had no peace since he got back from Vietnam. Um, yep. but, uh, I, I, I started this show on my Andrew Fantasia YouTube channel called blind reviews where I, uh, just for fun and shits and giggles, I, I review a movie before I've watched it. And, uh, I recorded my blind review of Rambo five yesterday and it should be up tomorrow. But, uh, I, I think, I think you'll agree with everything. And I think you'll think I'm hundred percent correct. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I, I, if you predict Paddington showing up in this movie, uh, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, well, the full title is definitely going to be, you know, Fast and Furious presents Rambo Five Paddington Two. So uh, we we can we can make that a safe bet already. 
But uh, that has been That's So Wizard. Thank you so much, Rob. It has indeed been wizard to have you on the show. Anything you want to plug? Um, I mean, not too much. I mean, just Rebel Scum. Keep, keep enjoying that stuff. I mean, Mandalorian's coming. I'm literally like almost carving out the days until that uh, on my wrist about getting ready to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> not literally. Don't do that, kids. It's, it's not good. Yeah, car- carve into the walls instead. Mom and Dad will appreciate that more. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got to, uh, we're, we're going to be doing a countdown uh, to the Mandalorian soon on the channel too, and of course counting down to the greatest four and a half hour movie ever made, Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. So there's keeps all, getting longer by the minute, guys. <laughs> yeah, it keeps getting longer. All, all kinds of things to be excited about uh, here on the Rebel Scum Podcast Network. So once again, this has been Mr. Rob McDonald. I have been Andrew Fantasia, and you all have been so wizard. We'll see you next time.